This is Niederreiter holding on to it, and he scores! Nino Niederreiter wins the series for the Minnesota Wild. And here comes Dublinski. I give him heck. I'll tell you, this guy's from Anchorage, Alaska. No, 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 there he Look! Now Iverson gets into the mix for Portland, and he starts throwing at Jared Hoff. And behind the T-Bird goes, so Hoff starts throwing back at him. Look at this! And it's Cody McLeod of the Avalanche taunting the Detroit Red Wings. Pleased to be joined by Taylor Peters, Winterhawk great, live from the Real Men in Southeast Portland. Glad to be here. I'm glad we finally got this on the books. So, uh, a lot of times with these, I like for some reason not to go chronological, but with you, I think I want to, I want to go right to the uh, your your business, your your school. How uh, how'd that come about? How's uh, how are things going with the Taylor Peters Hockey School? Uh, things are going great. Uh, it all started last year uh, around around January. I was looking for ice just to run my own camp in the summer because. That had been something that I had always wanted to do. Uh, I always wanted to come back to Portland, put on a, a hockey camp for the kids because I was afforded so many opportunities that I thought it was just something that I could do kind of to, to take the knowledge that I brought and kind of spread it out. And through those conversations, I was approached by Michael Ford at, at Sherwood Ice. And he said, well, I can do you one better. Do you want a job? Uh, we have an opening for our head coach position for our hockey players, and I think you'd be a great fit. And from that moment, it kind of started a conversation with me and my wife, and reflecting on myself personally, where I wanted to go with this hockey career and how I was doing, and um, we, we talked about it, we deliberated, and eventually it just showed up that this was going to be a great move, and I had to, talk, I had to jump on the opportunity. So you're working out of, out of Sherwood then? I am out of Sherwood now. I work there pretty much every day doing different things. I work with the, the three-year-old learn-to-skate kids. I work with the adult clinics. And then I run my own private skills and skating classes, which that is the Taylor Peters Hockey School right there. So your, so your day job then is, is coaching and teaching hockey skills, and then your side job is teaching hockey skills as well. Yeah, I kind of double up. <laughs> But it's great. Uh, I There are some days where I'm there from 7 in the morning to 7 at night, and the days go by fast because, I mean, I, I, I still love the game, and I love being out there, and I, I love seeing the players that I'm working with develop and understand new skills. And I, I, had, I sent my first group of players off to their junior teams this year, which was really exciting, and I, I try and watch them as often as I can. So it's been really rewarding getting back here and, and meeting everyone again and getting to be more a part of the hockey community than I ever was playing for the Winterhawks. Well, and, and no one is hitting you. And no one is hitting... Well, 
my my men's league team, some guys try and hit me, and then <laughs> things go down. But it's okay. I've, 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 I, I can imagine. So, <laughs> so that's cool. So, uh, if if uh, you know player people with uh, young young players are interested in uh, you know enrolling in uh, it's some of your uh, some of your endeavors, where do they go? So I have a website. Uh, it is www.taylorpetershockeyschool.com, and if you want to reach me by email directly, my email is tpeters at taylorpetershockeyschool.com as well. And I will answer emails within the same day. I have a lot of availability for power skating lessons, hockey lessons, you name it. And if, if you guys have any questions about how you want to join in with the programs at Sherwood, you can contact me directly or contact Sherwood through their phone number or on their website as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to hammer on that first just in, just in case somebody doesn't listen all the way to the end and we ramble. <laughs> So then, back when you were that age and you were coming up, you know what? What was the re- recruiting process like when you came into the Western League? I mean, were you, were you listed? Is that right? So there was there was a process there where uh, the 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 scouts with the Winterhawks identified me early on, and actually Matt Bardsley, who still works there, he came to one of my tournaments in Kamloops, and I was told the story years down the road and they kind of saw me and saw some potential and liked what they saw and that kind of ultimately led their decision to draft me uh, out of my off my hockey team in greater Vancouver and then from that point on I was a winter hawk until 2013 when we won the cup and thinking back to what that process is just a, it's just a blur now five years of a blur and a lot of games a lot of fun so what what uh where were you playing in, in Vancouver then um, when uh, when you got drafted? So when I was playing, uh, my Bantam team was just the South Delta Minor Hockey Association. Uh, it was just similar to the the Junior Winterhawks. It's just a, a small association. We had we had a really good year. Uh, Brendan Gallagher was our most notable name. He was on my line there, and we we are still friends and. That is our second year. So we got drafted. We had a number of players drafted off our team, and that was one of the only teams from South Delta that made it to the Provincials that year. So it's something, one of my first tastes of victory was through those guys. And then that next season, when I was drafted, I was playing for a regional team, which kind of combined certain other associations in the area. And that was when I got my first experience with the Winterhawks, where I got called up for five games as a 15-year-old, and uh, from there, from then on, it's history. You you tore it up in uh, that five-game stint. I remember uh, they had one-year goals and, and, and a pretty good celebration on the as part of the, the video montage for a while. You know, full cage. And, I mean, was that was that like you're thinking, I got this. Like this is this is going to go well. Like I think <laughs> the first goal I scored, and I remember it was in the key arena against Seattle and it was me and Tyler Swiston on a two-on-one and I actually kicked the puck into the net so I didn't really credit myself too much for that one <laughs> but I did I did the math and based off of the two goals I scored in five games I was slated to have like a 29-30 goal season as a 16-year-old in the Western Hockey League just like breaking sticks right? and I was like this is it this is my now I'm there 
I made it. And then obviously things are different than they play out in your mind. But I had a great time either way. That uh, that 16 year, that was um, that was a 19 win year. Started out with Rich Crom. He got fired. Was that uh, Halloween? Right. Yep. What uh. What, what was what was the first part of that season like? I mean, obviously you didn't know it was going to change. But. Well, I actually started with Willie at prospect camp the year before in Calgary. I met him for a week, and he ran practices and stuff. Then he got fired, and Rich came in for that season after I got drafted. So I got to meet Willie, and then Rich came in. And I remember he was there when I got called up and played in Vancouver as a 15-year-old. And that transition was the weirdest thing, and it kind of opened my eyes to how much of a business it is, because we went on our Eastern road trip throughout October for like 19 days on the bus, and we got back, and there wasn't even like a ceremonial changing, like handing off the torch, it was just, they were gone, they didn't say goodbye, and Mike and Travis were there the next day. So it was kind of interesting to see, but it was amazing to see the transition in mindset and professionalism that came with the change in ownership and the change in coaching staff. And, I mean, you could all see how it affected us as a team. Yeah. I mean, it's, as a fan, I mean, I was I was kind of excited about Rich Crom coming in because, you know, the whole family thing. He played yep. here. He wanted... You know, his, his, I, I see his picture every time I walk into the old rink, you know, with, with a TV on the ice for some reason. And, uh, you know, it's... And part of me wonders... I mean, he's still coaching somewhere, you know, and, and, and part of me wonders if he just didn't have any resources. You know, I mean, it was just such a... That ownership group was just such a disaster that, you know, I don't know if I can really hold it against him, but... This isn't a Rich Crom episode, but you know. But then when MJ came in, and then you look at the ownership group now and the resources they gave him, you know, and, and uh, you know, again to go from from a 19 win team to a 57 win team, you know, and and a couple a couple 50 win teams in the middle there. I mean that. I mean it just had to seem like you were just climbing that ladder the whole the whole time, right? It definitely was, and I don't know if if the ownership had changed and uh, Cromer had still been there, I don't think we would have been as well off as we were with Mike, but I think there definitely would have been improvement just in the way that our off-ice would have trickled into our on-ice, and that was the same way that it was with Mike, where uh, as soon as he came in, he, he instilled this culture of professionalism, this culture of, you know, winning is what we do, and... That trumps everything. And I think that as good as Mike is on the ice, he's even better with the players and developing professional hockey players before they ever step out of the, the call scene. Right? You, he develops professional hockey players at 17, 18, and that shows on the ice, and that shows in work ethic, that shows in dedication to systems, and that's the, that's the MJ way. Right, and that was the way that he taught us how to play, and taught us how to act as adults and professionals long before we ever had to be. Yeah. So, so your 16 years. So that was, you know, the year that MJ took over halfway yep. through, and and uh, 
Again, we finished the 19 wins, which honestly seemed pretty good after that 11 year, win year the, the year before in some ways. But uh, and then as a as a 17, that's when that's when Portland really started getting good. But you uh, you ended up spending some time in in, in Penticton that year. What, what what was that like? Well, we brought we brought new players in, and I think. I got a little complacent with my 16-year-old year, just like when I thought that I could get 29 goals a season. Um, I thought that my spot was guaranteed, and it wasn't that I didn't work hard, it's just that my mindset wasn't in the place where I had to earn my spot again, because I had just played 72 games as a 16-year-old that year before, and we brought new players in, we brought Nino in, we brought Johan in, we had a good lineup, and there just wasn't a spot for me to play consistently, to get in the rhythm. Uh, and so I think being sent down to Penticton really helped me develop my work ethic, and it helped me understand that you know things aren't guaranteed. You need to you need to go out there and you have to earn it every night. And even if you're a 20 year old player where your spot's almost guaranteed, you still have to show that you want that spot every day. And that change from going down at the end of October to coming back in January that those two months really taught me kind of the difference between being a hockey player and being a professional hockey player where it's an on the ice off the ice thing it's about getting to bed on time it's about dieting properly it's about time management it's about so much more than what you're doing on the ice um, and so I was really appreciative that Mike had faith in me and that when we came to the point nearing playoffs and when I got called up back at Christmas time for a couple days and then called up back again in January that he still had faith in me to perform to the potential that the, the staff had seen. And then from then on, he kind of he kind of showed me that I could be that fourth-line center guy. He made me appreciate that role. And talking to Travis with face-offs and stuff like that, uh, I really kind of came into my own that 17-year-old year as the guy, and especially working with guys like Stefan Schneider, who was a great guy to come after and kind of understand how he was because he was a great professional guy. Uh, he was a great mentor to me. That 17-year-old year was really formative because it helped me understand what I was going to be as a hockey player for my entire career, and that kind of defined who I was. So, you're, uh, Penticton is always kind of one of the like the Yankees of, of Junior A. I mean, were they, were they real good at that, at that point? They were real good, and they have a good program. They've got a good recruiter in that coach. And they've been good, I think, every year since. And I think they set the record for the longest winning streak in, like, junior hockey or something crazy like that a couple, a couple years after I left. Uh, and so it was good to go to that organization because I think they were the winter hawks of the BCHL. And they had a good coach. They had a good program. They wanted to, they wanted to train professionals. And they wanted to do everything the right way. Oh, so those guys make pretty good money down there too, but that's a that's a whole different story. But uh, so then when you came back, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Stephen Schneider because that that is a guy that played that role. But I wouldn't I wouldn't it wouldn't come to mind because he only played center for one year in this league. He was a converted defenseman that you know there was no room at the end, and I and I was really impressed with the way he he converted to that position and, and embraced the role, but. That's really interesting that he would be trying to pass that down because he was learning at the same time he was, he was trying to teach the next guy. I think he brought 
he brought that defensive mindset to that center position, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something that I identified really early on is his effectiveness as a defensive offensive player. And his goals came, uh, but he was so good with his reads defensively and just understanding how he was playing the game, how he was always blocking shots, how he was putting his body on the line. I think that's what I came to appreciate the most about him, that he was a team-first guy. And he didn't need the goals. He didn't need a crazy amount of ice time. But whenever he got an opportunity to either sacrifice his body by blocking a a one-timer or a slap shot, or if he needed to stay back and be more responsible in his own zone, he was always first in line. He would always volunteer. And I think that's what translated most into my game, was that defensive effectiveness and understanding that I want our team to win. These are the most effective ways that I can help us win, and this is what I'm going to do. It's just what I do now. So he was a big he was a big help. That's really interesting. I wouldn't I wouldn't anticipate that. So so when we get into your uh, your 18 year, and there was just a little total sidebar one off incident. But I remember that was it seems like that was the last training camp they had in the Glass Palace before this this year. And I remember there was at the end of a scrimmage, and you and Liam Dara got into it. And I can't remember, he got his stick up on you or something, and so there's like, you know, 20 people in there, so it's, you know, you can hear everything, and you're just like, and you didn't even know his name, you're like, number 44, you're horseshit. <laughs> you were pissed. And then, and then uh, you know, he started the year on the team and then and then moved on at the overage shuffle. But you, you remember that one at all? That just something that falls in the cracks? No, but I mean, I probably... <laughs> I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> uh, and this... This is still this is still an issue that I have. <laughs> I, I'm not a... I'm not a fader switch. There's no, like... Yeah. There's no in-between. It's either it's on... And I'm insane and want to kill you, or it's off and I'm just having a good time. And it might not take a lot to switch. I want, but to, I, I want to say you spiked your helmet like a football. Perhaps. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a contact sport with a weapon played at 35 miles an hour. You know that's the thing. A lot of emotion, a lot of testosterone, a lot of adrenaline, and it kind of creates this perfect storm of. Get the hell out of my way. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that was obviously just training camp. But then coming into that year, I mean, that was that was when you guys righted the ship and got good. I think yeah. it's like forty some wins, 44, 46, something like that. Yeah. What? Realistically, what did you guys think you were going to do in the playoffs that year? I mean, that was kind of just unknown. I mean, you know, we'd won around the year before. You know that crazy Spokane series that the home team lost every every game, and you know what? And then that Vancouver series, obviously with uh, you know your buddy uh, Gallagher never left the ice. That that 2012 year, I mean, what or 2011 rather? I mean, what what did you guys think you were going to be going to the playoffs? Did you know? We didn't know because we weren't a playoff team yet. Uh, we had not been tested. Right, and we, I don't know the exact number, but we didn't have very many playoff games of experience. No. I don't know if we had any, even with the players we brought in. Um, and so you can't know. You can't know how guys perform, because it's a whole other animal. 
right? And, and different players perform way better in playoffs, and different players turn it off in playoffs. And you can't know how you're going to be until you get there. You can prepare, and you can watch video, and you can do everything right. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and we didn't know. Now, moving forward, every year after that, we knew our playoff identity, and it was pretty similar to our, our season identity, but with just a little bit more concentrated, whatever you call it. Um, so that was the year that we kind of found out what we needed to be and how we needed to play in playoffs, and we ran into that Vancouver team that had veteran players that had been there before, and we saw how they played night in and night out, and I think that was a very valuable learning experience for us coming to the next year, where we had kind of established that respect that we wanted to establish, and then the year after that, um, in the 18-year-old year, because the 17-year-old year was the year we lost to Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. That 18-year-old year when we came in, we knew, yeah, we knew what we were doing, yeah. we had the players, and I think we came into that Cooney series a little confident in ourselves, and... Well, that that was that was the the Tri City in the conference final, right? That's yep. Could have been, and that was and while that was a sweep, I mean, you know, I I, I was lucky enough to go to those road games, and you know, Joey Baker had to score in the last minute to tie one of them, and I want to say that I want to say they're both like that. Like you guys tied them, tied it late to get it in overtime. Both those games. Uh, that 18 year would have been Sven Barchi. Scoring that late goal because Joey was on our team in 2013 and 2012. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, tries a lot like our team. You know, they have consistent players. They've got good depth on forward. They they listen to their systems, and so it wasn't a surprise that all those games went the distance and all those series. Went. I mean, we played Spokane. Spokane and Tri-City every year you know, yeah. one, uh, one order or the next yeah. uh, and so all the teams have good coaching, have good systems it was just who wanted it more and like I said, we had learned how to get to that point where we were going to overcome whatever obstacle was thrown our way So what what happened in the uh, in your assessment looking back I mean, what, what happened in the uh, Kootenai series? Was that just... I think we expected to win and... I think that was the first time for a lot of guys going that deep into the summer. And I think it's just tiring. It's it's surprisingly exhaustive. It's surprisingly... You get really sore. And you probably hear stories about when the Oilers lost to the Islanders and they thought they would walk by the dressing room and hear hooting and hollering. All those guys are in there icing their knees and getting treatment done. I think we weren't prepared to sacrifice enough to get that win. And we got there and we were tired and we kind of thought we were going to win because we had Nino and Johansson who were going to go in the first round and we had the guys that would do it. Um, and all, all they had was, was the goalie. They had they had Lewin and they had brought in Eakin who was a good player who I actually met. I've met a couple times down in Dallas now. Um, and I think it just came down to who wanted it more. And at that point they did because they were the underdogs. They, wanted, they had something to prove. And... That was that was just kind of the tone for the series, and you know, ifs ifs and ifs and buts. But you know, it sure would have been nice to have Brett Bonich in that series too. Yep. You take your best defenseman out, 
changes everybody's roles. Got where to see and, and all that. So the so that next year, I mean, at that point, you guys are established. You're rolling. Yep. You're winning games. You know, it's. It didn't seem like any of those playoff rounds were were in doubt. I, I was that the was that the year we saw Cologne uh, in the first round. Yeah, because that's when Ty and Sven like set the record for most goals in a series. Yeah, because I think March had ten goals in four games or something yeah, yeah. crazy like that. Um, so we came that, out. Of, Tyson Perry was even great in that series. Yeah. Which they still couldn't stop. Yeah, so. We came out of the gates hot. We wanted, we kind of had a chip on our shoulder now, too, because we had lost in the finals. We were pissed, and if we were going to go to playoffs, we were going to go to win. We were going to come the right way. And I think we went... Kelowna. Was that, was that Kamloops the second round? I, that can't remember. I think it would have been Kamloops the third. Kamloops, or Kelowna, maybe one of the U.S. teams, and then... Kamloops in the semifinal, maybe, because they had that year where they had... Was that, was that the year you guys almost coughed up the 3-0? That was, that was the year when we lost game six. Yeah. And then won game seven, because that was the year Learzy was on the team. It's all a blur. Yeah, but yeah. we kind of run those one together. We, we, came, we, came out of the, we came out of the season with a vengeance, and we wanted to win, and that was the 19-year-old year. Um... And then we get to the finals, and we just meet another good team with another good players. And I think if you play ten series out, we probably would have won five. It was just that they won the first one. And that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, all three of those Edmonton series were pretty amazing. But, uh... Yeah, that that Campbell's let's let's go back to that let's go back to that Campbell's series. That was up three nothing, everything's cool, on the road, up big, late in the game, and then you know, okay, they okay, you know, they're a good team. They came and got that back, you know, they got they got guys too. And then it started to it started to slip away. I mean what what was it that game six they blew the, the goddamn roof off the place? I mean what what was it like? You know, the trailing moments of that game. You're trying to pull out of a free fall. And ironically, sometimes the thing that you're trying to avoid the most, because you're trying to avoid it, is the thing you allow. And sometimes you try and be extra cautious, and it's what puts you in a bad position because you're not doing what you're normally doing. And I think what happened was we... Prevent defensive football. You're playing not to lose. Yeah, we're pl- we were playing not to lose at yeah. that point, and I think that's what happened. Is what we we became more complacent and trying to pull back and say, okay, you guys are kind of hot. We're just going to contain. And I think that kind of played into their confidence, seeing us pull back and saying, oh, this is a really good team. They've got X number of wins. They swept the first round. They were coming in hot. They've got really good players. Now they're afraid of us. And I think that kind of built off their confidence, and I mean they're a good team. They got some they got some lucky goals, but that's that's playoffs for it. I took off work early and went down, and there was I don't know how many it was not many, but there was a a rally, an impromptu rally at the rink, waiting for you guys to pull up, which was a little sketchy because bus travel, it was unpredictable to know when it was you are going to be there. We were there for a good hour, probably, at least, just waiting for you guys to show up. I mean, what was 
and, and we're trying to keep it a secret, you know, from the team and try to surprise them. I mean, again, it was a small group of people, but what what was that like? I mean, well, first off, what was the bus ride like? That's like what eight hour run. <laughs> it was quiet <laughs> and video study. Just nothing. No, no, we never really watched video on on the bus. I think because Mike. Mike wanted to be there to break things down and to draw circles on players and lines and stuff like that. We never did video on the bus. We would do it in the, in the room where he could break it down more and use them as teaching points. Um, it's just quiet. A lot of guys sleeping. Nobody's playing card games. No movies, for sure. No stopping at gas stations. It's just a beeline. We want to get home and we want to focus on the next game as soon as possible. And so... So when you guys pull up and there's a number of despondent fans cheering and doing whatever the hell we were doing, I mean, what was what was that just kind of surreal? I mean, what what was that like? It's always it's always great to feel like you're supported, even though you blow a three nothing lead in a series. <laughs> uh, it's always great to see that people still have your back. And I think that was something that really helped us into Game 7, where, you know, even though we kind of crapped the bed there and we probably weren't playing our best hockey, coming home and seeing that there was still that support, um, it really kind of helped us ride that wave into the next game and it helped us win the series eventually. Uh, But in the same way, it's kind of deflating because you get there and you almost feel like it's unearned and you kind of feel ashamed and you almost feel bad because these people are coming out to support you and you're not giving back what you should be giving back in terms of wins. Um, and so there's a there's a couple pros and cons, but overall I'd say it helps it's, a lot. It's, it's an inkblot test. <laughs> what you're That's how you see it, yeah. yeah. Sure. But whatever it was, I mean, again, I, I don't think it was fans had anything to do with it, but it worked. Again, because you, you didn't blow the league. You did blow a three nothing lead. You guys won the series. Yeah. I mean, how, how how big was that that Leipzig goal in the first first minute or whatever, first two minutes, whatever it was? I will say I gave my I gave one speech in the locker room my entire career, and it was that game. Over five years, I never stood up. I never like I was always vocal, but I never stood up and made everyone listen to me. But that was the one game that I stood up and I said I had to tell everyone like we have the fan support. We are the better team. We are not going to lose. Prior to the game? Prior to the game. Before we went out there, after warm-up, I went in, I stood up in the room, and for the first time, I, I looked at everyone and I said, we have this, but we need to earn it. And we went out there and played probably one of our best games in the playoffs, defensively, offensively, system-wise, work ethic-wise. Everybody was going full speed, and they couldn't keep up. Shut them out 2 nothing. went on to the next round with confidence back again. Yeah, that was a pretty wild. Sure. It's a pretty wild series. And then and that Edmonton series, that's just that's just two heavyweights and you know, they they yep. came out with the last punch. It just fell their way. That was So you would have drawn the the toughest defensive assignments against against Oil Kings. Who who are some of the guys you were up against in the trenches during those years? Uh their top line would have been Probably Saint Croix, Foster, I 
They fall out the back of my head. <laughs> they didn't really make that much of an impact on me. Yeah. But I think because I was out there so many times for defensive zone draws and stuff like that, I just saw so many. Oh, Samuelson would have been the second year. Yeah, I remember he was him. on the line with Lazar. Yeah, with Lazar. Those two guys were good players, strong players. They were especially good in the series after you would moved on to the pros, which worked out well for them. Yeah, they probably appreciated not having to deal with that. Yeah. Actually, if I remember right, I think they're even there. So again, it, it's, it does tend to run together. But I probably should have done a little more homework. But, uh, <laughs> so the 2013 year, I mean, that was that's just magic. I mean, everything, everything, all, everything about it. I mean, to have the overage group that you guys had, you know, you and, and, and Ruth and, and Troy Rutowski was really only possible because of the lockout because then it backed it backed up the system and guys did not move on to, to play pros. All three of you guys signed pro deals, which is, again, it's unheard of to have all three of your overagers sign pro deals. It just doesn't happen. It's, guys that are going to go pro already already did at that point. So so that was, to me, the NHL lockout had a huge impact on that team to start out, right? And then, obviously, coming off two finals appearances, you got scoring, you got defense, you got every, everything you need, you got a proven goalie. Even, in the, even though the fans in this town are super hard on goalies and all-time winningest playoff goalie in the history of the league, Still not good enough for Portland fans, but that's a different, entirely different story. But uh, I mean, coming into that year, I mean, it was you guys were just out for out for blood, right? Well, especially after the league decided to take Mike out of the picture, um, then we kind of embody that heel mentality, like in, uh, like in wrestling, where you want to be the bad guy, you want to undo all this stuff that you think they're doing against you. And we had a chip on our shoulder, and we had an incredible lineup. You you take a 57-win team and make them the underdog. Yeah. Is what you do there. Yep. Which is what happened. And uh, I I loved it. I loved being I loved being the empire to the to the rebellion. Uh, I loved being the bad guy there. And I loved every win we got. It seemed like we were sticking it to the man a little bit. And every. When we won the league trophy that year, yeah, because we got banners all across the board. Um, it was, it was justice a little bit, even though it was. I'm sure whatever they found was it was a justified decision, and I'm sure whatever whatever decision they came to was not made on impulse or for any other reason than what happened. Uh, but it did give us that that villain mentality and I think we rode that all the way to the Memorial Cup you took every D zone face off in every game for four rounds I didn't even have to be told <laughs> I would. I didn't have to look at Travis anymore because as soon as the puck came down I was already climbing over the boards um, and that's like that's 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 old school. They don't they don't do that anymore. They don't. That's like when you used to have a shadow and you'd have Esatikin on a guy every shift or, or to call the mute or whatever. Like you don't 
you don't have a face-off specialist anymore. You know, you don't you don't see that, and that was it was really interesting. But I'm like, if you have this weapon, and you, and you were hot, and you were experienced, you were, you know. But my girlfriend last, we were watching a year, one one of these finals games, and they were talking about you know Bill Williams, friend of the show, and he's like, ah, oh, this guy is 20 years old, he's seen it all, and she was like, oh. you know, thinking about that in the context of life. Yep. Which you haven't seen jack shit at 20 years old, but in the Western League, you are a gray beard. You're, you, you, you're you've been you've been there, right? And so that to have that weapon, I thought that was in you. I thought that was a really a really astute move, and I don't think you lost many of those draws. There were definitely more wins than losses, and if I did lose it, I'd work my ass off to get that puck out because I know that if I lose that draw, then I got to work with. I got to take time away from Nick Patan with his two first line guys getting caught in their zone. So I took extra responsibility saying, if I can get this out, now our line or our first line gets more offensive ice time instead of wasting energy in the defensive zone. So there's a lot playing into that, and I loved it. I loved going out there and guys looking at me coming off the bench and going, and I hear, I'm friends with uh, Brendan Ranford, who was on the Camels team for all those series, and he worked with uh, Colin Smith, who was their first-line center, and he's told me how Smitty would come off the bench, or come off the ice and just be so mad, and be in the dressing room and just be like, I can't do this. And that was a trickle-down from kind of our team mentality as we are the bad guys. I wanted to be the bad guy. I wanted to be the boogeyman out there. I wanted you to die a little inside every time I was on the ice and Travis Travis really instilled that because he kind of ended up playing that role later on in his career and oh, he Travis yeah. yeah sorry you guys watch this table get super small you're good anything else I can get for you gentlemen I think we're good so if you're at the real men, you want to get the fried chicken. That's kind of the idea. And you got to let it sit for a little bit because it is hot coming out of there. And you got to, you have to let it sit up before you can eat it. Just as, a, as an aside, we'll probably probably get them on as a sponsorship deal on the show. But yeah, take the back to the D zone draws, and I always thought that. Again, you did win a huge portion of them, and, and I thought that you would do it. It was pretty seamless as far as you changing and getting off the ice, and, and like you said, getting getting back to uh, other guys playing other roles to, to do their thing. It seemed like it. It seemed like it went really well. The D zone, or just yeah, the D zone. And then you, like I say you're getting off, you're getting off ice like like nothing happened. Well. Considering how many times I had to do it, our whole team was kind of into that routine with me and kind of understood how what they had to be looking for. Uh, and working with Troy and having Seth Jones out there and a bunch of defensemen who were very capable, having them there and having that defensive chemistry, which is very underrated, they knew where I was trying to put the puck. And so a lot of times... A lot of times I'm was, I wasn't winning it with my stick, I was winning it with my skates. And they would know to kind of hesitate, push off of their other guy, and then that puck would squirt out right when they got away from that guy, and we would break out seamlessly every time. Well, you're playing for a tie half the time, right? I mean, you know, you, it's, it's 
we we credit faceoff wins to an individual, but it's a, it's really a, a team stat. Except for we don't track them; it's not a stat, just like. But when in leagues that you do, I mean, it's really a, a, a team thing. And like you're saying, as far as having a, it's almost like a play in football or something. You know, as far as like having it drawn up, what you're yep. trying to do. And it's, it's it was important that everybody knew what they were doing. And I would be I would be orchestrating what we were doing off the draw, I would be saying, okay, this is how they're lining up. And we would have it, we would talk to Travis, and he would say, okay, watch for this player being here, because if we do that, now you have to win win it the opposite way so that we can get it out on their weak side instead of playing into what they're trying to do on their forecheck. So it kind of came down to understanding systems and coming down to the fact that you just have to win the draw. And if you don't do that, everything goes... Everything has to switch to defense, and that wasn't what we wanted to do. So that that game six in that Edmonton series, those those two shorthanded goals that Braddy scored on that same PK. I mean, what? Well, you would you would have been playing on that PK too, right? Not on his line, but um, it's it's incredible what a penalty kill goal does for your momentum. Because not only is this team confident because now they have the power play but they're also being scored on and they're also supposed to be the offensive ones and so it does double damage there and especially if you do it twice then all of a sudden they're in their own heads their confidence is sunk down to this to the floor um and i think i mean obviously rats is a great player he's still a great player and he he came up big that whole playoff series he wanted it bad and you could tell so what? You only get so many opportunities to, to hoist the trophy. I mean, what what was that like? <laughs> Euphoric. <laughs> um, I think it it was even more of an experience because of what we had done getting to that point, um, losing twice, and coming all this way and playing as long as you can play to only come away empty-handed. There was a lot of those experience, of those experiences that kind of flooded in and made that that victory series, that winning that trophy, hoisting that trophy so much more special was that we had we had paid our dues and we were finally being rewarded for our effort for three years um, and we were being rewarded for just our commitment to our team and our commitment to each other and our commitment to becoming the best team we could be and this was kind of our this was our trophy this was our this was our reward for being that team and it was amazing it was until until I won next year <laughs> it was the greatest hockey experience ever I've heard stories about playing right home and somebody like taping their phone to the uh, to the PA mic on the on the plane so you guys could listen to tunes like over the over the over the, the, the PA system. There there was that. <laughs> I did I got to do the the pre flight announcements with your <laughs> The, uh, the, the safety check about knowing yeah, where the, where the, the, safety if, check. Where the exits are. Uh, Mac, Mac and I strapped the trophy into the seat between us and rode all the way home with it. Um, and it was just, 
and we just kind of rode that wave all the way back home to where there were supporting and loyal fans again. And then we tried to carry that momentum into the Memorial Cup. Which is why it's such a cruel game, because you go through seven, you know, seven game series, four rounds of it, win, win the war, and you still, it's, you still have a bitter taste at the end of it. You know, it's like, it's, a, it's an extremely cruel league and a cruel setup the way it is. Yes, yes and no. Um, I think I think the the Memorial Cup is is nice to see who is the best in Canada. But I think for us, we weren't. If we lost the Memorial Cup, we wouldn't be as crushed as if we lost the WHL final. And that goes back to our journey to that road. Now, maybe if we had gone to the Memorial Cup final twice and lost and then come to the Memorial Cup final again, I mean, we just ended up playing a mutant team that was made out of first-rounders, and we almost beat them, but you've got some guys that are going to be NHL Hall of Famers on that team. How, how much of that McKinnon-Duran line did you see? Probably, probably a lot, right? A lot, but we don't get last change every game, and... It wasn't like they only had those three weapons, right? They had a pretty deep lineup where every player could score, and we had a great team. They just had a couple of dynamic players that performed to their potential that week. Yeah, which which cost me as an Avalanche fan because then they didn't take my guy Jones; they took McKinnon. And- what do they need? They need a defenseman. They still need a defenseman. Seth Jones, pretty good. What's McKinnon doing? Well, he's there. I mean, you know, it's it's hard for me to say that a guy in his position is not playing well. I mean, he's in the pros. But uh, take the damn defenseman. Always take the defenseman. In general. Give you a bigger trade, trade token. They're hard to find. They're impossible to find. So you went on on top, you won your last WHL game against a WHL opponent. Yep. Walked out of there with the with a trophy, came back, a conquering hero. Then they paid you good money to play hockey. So you, you signed a AHL deal with the Stars, which is pretty sweet. I mean, again, what, you know, what percentage of of guys go on to play junior and what percentage of guys go on to play at the pros. I mean, it's like, you know, what, 1% or whatever it is. I mean, what what was it like playing uh, playing in the A? It's an interesting question because you would think that there is a higher level of professionalism, and I think because of the way I was raised with Mike that when I got there, it was just business as usual. And I think one thing that you don't realize is how much freedom you get now that you're not being... No school, no... You're not being babysat as much. Gentlemen, you might get the rest of this out of the way and maybe grab the sauce as well while I'm handy. Sure. Cool. Appreciate it. Give you guys a little... So when you get the fried chicken to reel them in, they bring you... 
not a six pack of sauces, a six pack plus one of sauces. It's a great place. Again, I need to get them to sponsor on the show since I'm giving them ad time. So you're talking about like you get no billets, no whatever. You're just kind of just on your own. Is that kind of the way you're getting at? You're on your own and. There are pros and cons to that as well because all of a sudden you go from having your meals cooked for you and maybe having a car payment and maybe a cell phone payment to all of a sudden now you are cooking exclusively for yourself. You are paying for your car, paying for your cell phone, trying to find a place to live uh, all for the first time and all with a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing at the same time. So that first year was interesting. It definitely was a really big change off the ice, uh, but on the ice things were professional as usual. It was it was just like coming in to Mike's systems because Willie Desjardins, who was a fantastic coach, who I appreciated very much and who gave me a lot of opportunities. Uh, him and Mike are good friends, and I think Mike kind of paved the way for me to step into a spot that I was very familiar with when I was with Mike, and I succeeded. Throughout that first rookie season, I got seven goals, 16 points. I felt really confident, and then we ended up going all the way to the finals and winning that year, too. When you when you say business as usual, I mean, are you saying that you were prepared to play professional and, and as far as approaching things as a professional because of, of, of what you learned in Portland? Is that kind of where you're getting Absolutely. I think the, the culture that Mike has cultivated here in Portland is the same that professional coaches are trying to instill in our players and I was lucky enough to have that done for me years before I ever became a professional hockey player so when I got there it was business as usual on the ice work ethic that's what that's this is what's expected and this is what has been expected um your adherence to systems and stuff it was all the same so the AHL playoffs that's that's four rounds of seven game series as well right first round is actually only best of five okay um, so we played that game and then we got one of our first rounders came from junior and I was on the in the stand for most of the game or most of the game so I only played eight out of the 20-ish games that we played that that season but I did get to play a lot in our our, our conference final series against Toronto which was a really good team uh, I got I got a, a goal and an assist in one of our bigger games and helped our team get into the final, which I took a lot of pride in. And then our final series in St. John's, Newfoundland, was one of the weirdest and most incredible experiences of my life. Uh, and it was just something that not a lot of people get to experience, which I appreciated as well. Seems like I vaguely remember that series. Wasn't there like a bunch of weird travel and, and, and days off and billing availability going on with that round? Well, what had happened was because it's hard to it's hard to book out a rink so far in advance for a playoffs that might not actually be there. They had rented out their mile one arena to a home and garden show for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we actually ended up playing Monday, Wednesday, Monday for our series and we were there for nine days in St. John's, Newfoundland with five days off in between games. Good weather? I mean, it was a nice time of year. It was, there, right? it was a nice time of year. I mean, it was the middle of June. So we went on a couple uh, iceberg tours out in, the, out in the bay there and 
got to know the locals very well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did they, I'm sure they loved you. We uh, we frequented their establishments. <laughs> so, so at that point, I mean, you went in back to back championships. It's back, rewind it back to when you're a 15 year old, you know, and you're you know break goal scoring records. I mean, you're just. You're just going to keep winning cups, right? I mean, that, that's just the way it works. I think because of my experiences throughout the five years in Portland, I realized that winning cups takes more than a team. It takes a lot of things to go right in your favor, a lot of a lot of injuries to not happen, um, and it's not something that just happens because it happens. It takes a lot, and I wasn't expect that time. I wasn't expecting things just to happen because they happened before um, and I wasn't expecting seasons to be the same either what was the rest of your time in, uh, in Austin like after Willie won uh, he rightfully so got picked up by Vancouver where he still is and from what at, I've heard at, at this taping he's still there but yeah and from what I've heard from people that are closer to the team is that the players like him. I mean, I, I loved him as a coach here, and I hope he does all the best because he was one of my favorite coaches of all time just in the way that he operated. It was great. Um, so we got a new coach in, in Texas there, and right from the hop, I think, because of the way that I've been trained through Willie and Mike, that I had developed a way of becoming the best player I could be, and that way worked very well with Mike and Willie's style. And uh, sometimes a new coach comes in and it just doesn't work as well as it could, and I think that really damaged my career, and it was something that hurt me enough to... Uh, I ended up in, in Idaho for part of the season and down there for playoffs and then I spent the entirety of last season down there as well what's the what's the coast league like you hear some stories about it being kind of wild there are still really good players in that league and there are players in that league who stay in that league because they don't want to be called up to play a fourth line role where they can play a first line role in the coast league uh I think there are some players there that shouldn't be playing hockey. <laughs> that should probably be bouncers or something like that because of their mindset and how they can skate. But uh, I have no no bad feelings about my time in Boise. It was a, Boise is probably one of the best organizations in the league. Their coaching staff is great. Their the way they treat their players is amazing. And if anyone has the option to go there, I would jump at the opportunity. Um, it's just as far as the NHL is from the AHL, that is how far the coast is from the American Hockey League. So it's just one more step down, more buses, um, not as luxurious arenas. Compensation isn't as as adequate, but it's professional hockey and it's a good time. Well, they're, even then, I mean, they're still paying you a lot more to play hockey than uh, than most guys get for playing hockey, which is they don't get paid at all. <laughs> it's definitely nice to be doing something you love <laughs> and getting a paycheck while you're doing it. And there's probably more people standing up and cheer for you than 
than uh, than do in, in a beer league game as well. It's true. Not as many fans in the beer league games these days. <laughs> so you end up back in Portland, and I got to think a huge part of that would have to do with uh, with uh, recently getting married. Happy over here, gentlemen. Oh, most definitely. Uh, I met I met my wife after my last season game with Portland. So I played here 300 plus games, uh, and she came into my life right after I was done all of those games, uh, right in the middle of our series with Edmonton in my 20 year old year. Uh, it was a Wednesday, <laughs> and from from day one when I met her. There was there was that that feeling inside that she was just going to be the one. Um, she she is my best friend, and she is a fantastic mother to our stepson right now. And she is handling her pregnancy so well. I'm so incredibly proud of her for working so hard. Um, I don't know what I would do without her. And coming home was it wasn't even a decision it was it was just the right thing to do because the more time i can spend with her that is going to be my priority every time so i guess i guess i i knew you were together for some time i thought it was longer than that interesting so and how long you guys been married uh we have been married Got to count up. So I hope she hope she's not listening to this. We might be in trouble. Well, I know I know how many months. <laughs> I know when our wedding was. <laughs> Let's see. All you guys at home, make sure to make sure to learn from this. Have have your number ready. It's been one year, one hundred and twenty-two days, nineteen hours, forty-six minutes, and thirty seconds since the day we said I do. Joy of technology. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was. So, uh, so at, at what point of your career were, were you in Austin then at that point? Uh, I was in Austin. We started dating uh, right before I left, and she would make trips down to see me, and then we, we saw each other at Christmas, and we spent that entire summer together, and then at the end of that summer, I proposed to her, and then we got married last July. It's still pretty quick. It, I, I admit that we got a couple sideways looks, but when you know, you know, as they say. And uh, and and you're expecting right now? We are expecting. We we have we have a little boy on the way who is due February 26th. So right in that first three months of uh, birthing a good athlete, as Outlier says. <laughs> So I'm hoping to live vicariously through him on his path to becoming a professional hockey player as well. Right shot defenseman? <laughs> no, gross. <laughs> Shut down hey, centerman. That's where the money is. That's where the money is, right shot defense. Although although in twenty years it maybe the shutdown centerman is the is the key. You can't you can't draft for need at twenty years out. It's true. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. So uh, who uh and congratulations. Thank you. Who um, who are some of your favorite guys that you played with? Maybe on the ice, maybe off the ice. Uh, let's see. Right off the bat, uh, Chris Francis was one of the guys that was was 
very. I love Chris Francis. He was he was really nice to me coming in. He he wasn't that standoffish vet type. Um, from from day one, he was a nice guy. He included me in a lot of stuff. Uh, moving down the line, Taylor Jordan was a great guy. He would, he'd put his body on the line for you. He'd, he'd stand up for you on the ice. Funny guy in the locker room. Worked hard in the, in the gym. He was just a good guy to focus on. Same with Schneids. He was the, he was the same way. Uh, I would say Mac, Mac and Troy, just because of the amount of time that we had together, we developed five, really... I mean, five years for you and... Troy and for me all. and Troy, and then three years from Mac and I. And Mac and I actually lived together for a couple of those years at the same billet house. Um, we developed just a very deep respect and friendship with one another just from all the challenges that we had overcome together. And uh, Mac, both, Mac was in my wedding, and Troy was there as well. <laughs> just because they were big parts of my life, I wanted him to be there. And then uh, Josh Hansen was another guy that him and I, I think we connected very well on an intellectual level. And the spiritual level, because we were both Christian, we would go to church a lot together when we were here. And we would both kind of be the ones focusing on our schoolwork when we were actually doing our study hall instead of... Well, he passed up Harvard to come here. (laughs) I believe it. And now he's over at the University of Toronto with his economics degree. Uh, And then uh, probably one of my better friends on the team would have been Derek Pouliot. Because we loved playing video games together, <laughs> and we would always we would always play the same games, and we would play it through, and we'd have the headset on and stuff like that. And we had a couple years where we would have all of our team playing Call of Duty together, and we would play, and we would call out systems and stuff like that. We had all all the nerdy guys working it out together. So I would say those are probably my favorite guys from the Winterhawks. Um, Brendan Ranford was one of the guys that I became really good friends with in professional in, in Texas and stuff like that. Brett Ritchie, uh, one of the guys who's on Dallas right now, he was my roommate my first year, and we both kind of circumnavigated those challenges of suddenly living on your own together. And he was actually in my wedding as well with with Brendan. And then uh, in Idaho, I met a couple really good guys. Tommy Fallon was a great guy. Um, and uh, Brandon McGee, who played for the Victoria Royals uh, a few years back, uh, you just you just meet guys that kind of understand the life of a professional hockey player, and you instantly start to click with them. And because you get such a limited sample of people to become friends with, you kind of you have to connect really easily. And I was blessed with meeting really cool people along the way, and. I know, those are friends that I still talk to now. Who are some of the guys that drove you crazy? Maybe some of the guys you played against. <laughs> played against? Yeah. Or, played, or with. Or played with. with. <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> um, in, that, in that defensive role, there had to be some guys to go in the corner that you just... You just wanted to kill, right? I, mean. I, I tried to hit Brendan Ranford as much as I could, and yeah. it was kind of a, a interesting coming around full circle where when we actually ended up hanging out, because we met each other at the airport on the way to Dallas's <laughs> development camp, yeah, yeah. Um, we kind of shared those stories and became friends through our mutual hatred of one another, uh, which was kind of funny. But I'd say overall, Shinneman was a guy that I just couldn't stand. 
he was on Tri Cities those years when they were really good. He got he led the league in points. I'm sure, no one listening to the show can stand him either. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there aren't very many guys that stick out in my mind as the ones that I hated to play against. Um, yeah, Leipzig was annoying as hell, but I think that's be the path of a 17-year-old kid coming into his own as being one of the best players in the league, and I couldn't stand it. I might have been a little bit jealous because I wasn't getting as many points as him. You were. <laughs> so, but we all got along, and we all came together on the ice, which was the important thing. So, while, while you were here, you just casually... Nonchalant, no big deal, saved the dude's life. <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to come up. <laughs> I've never saved the guy's life. I mean, what, uh, and, and a lot of that, I mean, I remember reading the paper, and I think at the time you credited that to being an athlete and being in, in, in good physical shape. I mean, what, I mean, what's, tell us that story. It was, uh, New Year's Day Eve, so first day of the year, actually, and, I was heading out to meet up with a couple of the guys, and our our billet family lives in a, a floating home right by the Sherwood Bridge in a little community with 20 or so houses. And my my billet mom Loretta was outside on the deck, and she heard somebody calling for help. And obviously, it's not something that happens a whole lot. So I kind of scoffed at it and I said, "Yeah, I, I don't think this is." anything, I'm just going to take off. Uh, and she she was like, no, you should come check this out. And so I went out there and sure enough, I heard uh, I heard two voices calling out for help. And since it was 8 o'clock on January 1st, it was pitch black. And Probably cold. It was super cold. But in that moment, you kind of switch from seeing it as like a casual thing that people are just screwing around to okay, this is something serious and all of a sudden that adrenaline starts rolling in and uh, Loretta's son uh, Anders was there too and he jumped in a, a kayak and started taking off so I followed him and he was the one that actually saw where this guy had fallen out of his, his kayak and because it was the waters were so fast that he was coming down and they were his friend was walking down the shore calling for help and trying to keep an eye on him as they were both floating down trying, trying to pace him basically. exactly because they had both been in a double a double kayak paddling together and so uh, Anders and I we paddled across and using kind of the silhouette of the street lamps and stuff like that he, he, he saw him and called me over and I told the gentleman to hold on to the kayak because they've got the, the carrying hooks there and I paddled him just over to shore and we grabbed his his kayak and by that time Loretta had called the Coast Guard who came ripping down the Willamette. They just like happened to be just, there? No, they, they took him like 10-15 minutes oh, okay, okay. but first guy comes down in a jet ski and just ripping down is kind of the patrol and the next boat just comes down to this 40 foot scooter that is just tearing down the river and we waved them down and they came over with their big lifeboats and stuff and thinking back to it it's kind of a surreal situation um, the guys still gave me crap for being late even though I told them I was out there saving a guy's life so oh, yeah sure you did yeah sure you did and yeah yeah sure <laughs> that's a new one that's a good one um, and I actually had the chance to meet both of them and their kids 
uh, at a game later on because they got invited to come to one of the games. And I think seeing their children and understanding what it could have meant had things not gone that way, it kind of it kind of hit hit a deeper chord because of what I had actually done. And usually I take things pretty casually. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I went out, pulled this guy out who was probably going to drown. It's no thing. And I think that kind of sank it home that the importance of what I had done. The consequences, yeah. It, was really, yeah. it wouldn't work, yeah. But that was that was definitely one of the one memory that I'm never going to forget. And I've never talked to the guy. I didn't know their... I, I got their first names and I never talked to them since, but I'm glad that they are still... I hope they're still kayaking a lot. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a crazy day. I want to say you scored in the next game. Overtime against Moose Jaw. Yeah. Yeah. Which was my best goal ever. It's the only time I've ever been on Plays of the Week. I remember that. <laughs> just thinking at the time, I'm just like, what? I mean, what can't this kid do? You know, I mean, making an impact over here, making an impact over there. I'm like, that's 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 a week right there. It was, it was a good start to the year. <laughs> Definitely a good start to the year. I have no idea. I remember watching the the news clip because we got uh, there was a couple interviews at the houseboat where I was standing there pointing out where things have gone down, and they were all showing the highlight too. And I was like, oh. Some a nice 15 minutes of fame that I got today. So it was a good week, and then it turned into a good year. We went to the finals, but that was that was the 2012. That was 20. That was the beginning of 2013. Oh, okay. So, so that was you won. You didn't or, just go. No, it was 20 January 2012. Okay. Because yeah, that was the first year we had Rats and Barch on the team, or Barchy was on the team as well. I think it's all a blur. What was he like? He didn't didn't have a good hand on English, really, did he? Barch Barch is one of my favorite players, just because he always brought such a positive attitude to everything. Like I don't think I ever saw him frown, and you can see it now with with Canuck stuff like that. He's still he's a happy go lucky guy. Takes his game very seriously. Super skilled, but. He's probably one of the most friendly guys that I ever met on or off the ice. I know they said at the, you know, at that time that him and Raddy were pretty much inseparable on the ice, off the ice. I mean, when you get two players that are that talented, you want to make sure that they develop a chemistry together so that they become greater than the sum of their parts. And I think that's something that we really, really, really cashed in on where they didn't matter who you put them with. They could operate on their own with two players better than another team could operate with five players. So it turned out really well, and obviously you see the result of that. Well, we're up against it with the the time that that you gave me, uh, or, or, or we, we agreed upon. Uh, you got any? Other, what's you got any other? One more crazy story? Something 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 wild that happened with the. Uh, I mean, you played with a lot of pretty colorful guys here in uh, here in Portland. A lot of colorful guys. Should have seen that. Should have seen this coming. Should have prepared. <laughs> um, well, I didn't give you anything to. I didn't give you much of a pitch. You know. Maybe a little too wide. I mean, wide we open. there was there was a time when we had a bus trip to Spokane. 
uh, and we broke down about an hour and a half out of Spokane in January where there were snow banks like five feet high on both sides of the highways and we all jumped out at midnight and had about an hour long snowball fight that was pretty crazy um I need to come back to this next time. Uh, I'll have a good one. Yeah, well, yeah that, maybe maybe that gives us a, a round two where it's where it's just you know we went on just the road. This yeah. guy climbed over the glass or whatever. Or, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get back to that. But uh, I suppose with that part, wrap it up. I I appreciate your time, Taylor. I think you know people. Uh, I think people have fun listening to this. Uh, you know, again, it's just it's just to to get. To get a guy that was a part of this build, as far as you know, pulling the pulling this franchise out of off the scrap heap and and and, and, and culminating with uh, with a championship, I mean that's it's it's you know that you were a, a, a big part of, and it's uh, I know there was you know ten ten thousand nine hundred forty six of my closest friends that were uh, that were pretty were sitting right next to me, they were pretty happy with it. So uh, anyway, man, it was it was a pleasure having you on and. Uh, and look into look into the school there, guys. Thanks for having me on. It was great.